Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. How much money does a skunk have? One cent. <laughs> what is, <laughs> when does a female deer need money? When she doesn't have a buck. <laughs> so what are you invested in? Anybody ever put money into a stock and then all of a sudden, even though you never watched the stock, it's now on your phone and you check it on a regular basis? All right, how about this? What are you invested in? Let's go, I was gonna go big. I'm gonna, I was gonna go Browns by season tickets. But look, can we go little? Can we go small? Can we go local? Your kid plays soccer for North Ridgeville. Or, or your, yeah, 18 and one, great season. Thanks, George, for all your work. George, you in here? There you go. Great coaching this year. That's right. This guy has them praying on the field. Uh, this guy's a man of faith, and he leads his team with faith, and I, I respect that. I respect that. They did 18-1. All right. Guys, I hate being cold. I hate getting wet and cold. But my son coaches the, the goalies, an assistant coach, and George attends our church, and we get some kids from the soccer team that are playing. You know where I was in the driving rain and freezing cold? Do you know where I was? I was at a soccer game. You know why I was at a soccer game? Even though I hate being cold and wet, you know why I was there? Because I'm invested in the people on the field, so my body shows up where I'm invested. Are y'all following me with this? If we're using the Browns, you know, you buy season tickets, you're going to be there when it's 105 degrees, and you're going to be there when it's like that game I went to that somebody gave me tickets. It was like six degrees with a minus 30 wind chill factor. Why was I there? Because I don't know. I'm invested in stupid stuff. <laughs> what? This is my question today. What are you invested in? What are you invested in? So uh, we found out last week that Paul made some mistakes with the Corinthian church. He did not demand that they support him. Therefore, his apostleship was always under question. And because he didn't demand support from them, we're going to find out today, he had another problem with the Corinthian church. Okay? Because he didn't push them to give as they ought to, they were always deficient in their faith. <laughs> Y'all don't like that, do you? All right. One of Paul's driving passions was to raise money for the people who were in poverty back in Jerusalem. And you find all throughout his letters, he was constantly raising money to send back to Jerusalem. The reason why the early Jerusalem church, if you go back and read it, and this is uh, man, I wish I had time to theologically unpack this. In the early church, it says they sold all their lands and they put all of their goods in common together, right? 
And have you ever heard anybody talk about, well, communism's in the Bible because they sold everything and they all had things in common, right? The problem is, here's what wound up happening to the Jerusalem church. Because they sold all their stuff to get the gospel out, they lost all of their support for the future, so they needed the church out here to keep sending them back offerings because they had no basis for support because they didn't have land anymore and they lived in poverty. Because communism will eventually take you to poverty. I, that's not political, that's just factual. It'll take few people to incredible riches and others, the masses, to poverty. So, Paul is always trying to send back offerings to Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, I'll tell you what, would you stand to your feet in honor of God's Word? And, and uh, this will be our verse today we're going to look at, and then we're going to talk about how it works out in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So Paul says, he's ending the end of the letter, and now he's going to talk to them about an offering that he's trying to go back to, to give to the, uh, to the Jerusalem church. And he says, on the first day of every week, when? First day of every week, otherwise known as Sunday, right? Yeah, so when did the church meet together? Wow, all right. Why would they meet together on Sunday? first day of the week, and that's when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and they were celebrating on the first day of the week. So the church doesn't meet on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. The church of Jesus Christ celebrates on a Sunday. Uh, man, there's so much I wish I had time to talk to you about. So on the first day of the week, every one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your what? In keeping with your income. So you know what you make, and you make a plan to give some of what you make. And I've said this to you before, I'll say it again. Do you know what the key defining characteristic of people who get ahead financially in this world is? Do you know what it is? They have a budget. What are the first two steps of making a budget? Figuring out what you make and then setting a direction for the money of where you're going to spend it or give it. If you do this right here, you take the first two steps toward financial freedom. You hear something different, but it's the truth. These are the first two steps of financial freedom. And it's sort of like God knew that. And it's sort of like this tithing thing he tells us to do is not oppression, but it's actually the steps to financial freedom. All right. So on the first day of the week, you should set aside some of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so when I come, no collections will need to be made. I love this. So it's uh, giving is... A priority, you do it first, on the first, it's a priority. It's, a, it's equal, so it's not, you know, one person gives a lot, another gives a little. It's, it's proportional. Are you all following this? It's good stuff. And, and it's, a, it's open for blessings. So what I want to talk to you about today is the blessing, the blessing that comes with investing in the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray your blessing on your word today. Let our hearts be open, our ears hear. And I pray that you would speak. God, there's some people in this room, they are missing huge blessings because they're not investing in your kingdom. It's about time that they get some blessing in their life. Thanks. Amen. Amen. Turn, high five somebody, give them a big smile, tell them you look good today. All right, so I don't want to make the mistake Paul made by not telling you what you need to do. 
So you remember last week we talked about how Paul made a mistake by not telling the people to support the local church. So I want to tell you, you need to tithe. You need to. Not you ought to, but you need to. Do you know why you need to? Because tithing opens up God's blessing on your life that you're not going to have elsewhere. I'm not going to get into that except to say you need to tithe. What is a tithe? It is 10% to the local church. It does not go into every other fund. It goes into general fund. Here's why. Let me, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to walk slowly for the cameras. <clears throat> we manage money here very tightly around this church. And my deacons would say amen to that because they're forced to listen to me every month go through it. I was managing tightly. We were watching because we watch where every penny goes and what we do with it. <laughs> and I came across something in one of our bills. Kleenex. Or, or uh, facial tissues is what they're called. Guess how much six months worth of facial tissues cost for this church? $139 so you can wipe your noses. Or maybe the spirit moves and you can wipe your tears. Now, why do I tell you that? Because... I don't care. You run 700 people through a building, $139 is not that much for taking good care of you, all right? But it's $139. My wife says to me all the time stuff like, I know we need new tires, but I don't like buying new tires. What do you get out of new tires? Safety? Wow, that feels good unless it doesn't. All right, you, are y'all following me here? So um, you need to tithe because the local church that you receive blessings from every week, somebody's paying for you to get these blessings. You get to give to kingdom builders. You get to. Tithe is about honor and obedience. You're honoring God, you're obeying him. Uh, kingdom builders is about generosity. It's what we get to do. But, um, but giving to kingdom builders without tithing is about like going out to eat at a restaurant and sitting down at the restaurant, and after you've eaten your meal and you've paid your food and it's time to leave a tip, you leave 25% tip, but you don't pay for your bill. That, that, the restaurant would not like you to come back, but I was generous to the waiter or waitress. The server got a generous tip, but the bill isn't paid for. You need to tithe, you get to give to kingdom builders. Now, every time I say that, people say stuff like, church is only out for your money. Yeah. On you. <laughs> because if I don't tell you to do this, you don't mature. All right. And I'm, I'm really concerned about you maturing in Christ. All right. So the Corinthian church pled to give, pledged to give, but they didn't do it. So they pledged to give, and then they didn't have the money. So Paul was disappointed in them. That's why in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, he's like, hey, guys, come on. You said you would give some money, so you got to set aside the money you said you were going to do, and you didn't do it. So Paul writes a second letter after he finds out that they're still not doing it, and he writes 2 Corinthians. One of the reasons he writes 2 Corinthians is to give the information in chapters 8 and 9, which is what I want to walk through. So Paul uses the Macedonian church to reference three attitudes that we should have in giving. 
Let's look at the first one. Giving is a privilege. Giving is a privilege. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 8, we'll look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the, we want you to know about the what? What is grace? Does anybody know the biblical definition of grace that have been taught for ages? Unmerited favor. Anybody heard unmerited favor before? Yeah, all right. Unmerited favor. What does that mean? It means that you're given blessings you don't deserve. All right, so when it comes to giving, now about brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. So what he's going to do, he's, he's going to talk about somebody that's living in favor from God, and who are those people? They're the Macedonian churches. All right, 2 Corinthians 8, 7, but since you excel in everything, so this is what he's saying to the Corinthian church, oh, you think you're awesome, huh? You excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge. Oh, by the way, all of those are gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, aren't they? So you're incredibly spiritual people. You, you have excelled in faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness and the love we have kindled in you. See also that you don't skip this one. Don't skip the what? The, the favor that God gives you to give. Don't skip the grace of giving. All right. So the Macedonian church reveals an unusual equation. And uh, I'm going to give you the equation. So can we put this up on the... We tried to make this look good so you can get it. But this is an equation. Anybody remember equations from math class? We have severe trial plus overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. I'm going to tell you right now, and, and I'll read you the text that this comes from in just a second, but I'm going to tell you when I look at this, one plus one plus one does not equal rich generosity. Correct? Extreme poverty equals rich generosity. Severe trial, rich generosity. These things don't make sense without what we just talked about, the grace of God working through you. So giving is a way that God's grace grows in your heart and in your spirit and expands with overflowing joy and things like that. So let's look at it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 2, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Right there in the text. All right. And then he says this, 2 Corinthians 8, 3, for I testify they gave as much as they were able and even... What? Beyond their ability, this grace of God enables you to do more than you can do naturally? <laughs> I've heard stories. I talked about Doug. Doug's one of those people. I heard another one yesterday. I've got another one I'm going to share with you next week. I hear these stories a lot from this church, and I wish I had time to tell you all of them. But it normally goes like this. We went through a really rough time financially, but we decided we were going to give anyway. And you know what happened when we gave through our financial uncertainty? Like Doug lost his job, lost his big paycheck. You know what happens? You know what happened? I'll tell you what happened. 
What happened is when they continued to give or they decided to give, God continued to meet every need and they were able not only to continue giving, but they were also able to pay their bills on half the income they had before. And not only were they able to pay their bills, they were able to get ahead for the future somehow. And two plus two does not equal four because we have to add in there that when we open up our hearts to God and giving, God does the supernatural beyond our ability. Come on, guys, I should have never been able to raise three kids on the salary I made from this church. <laughs> there isn't any way. Anyway. And that's not complaining. That's praise God, right? Yeah. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, we're dealing with that word again, that grace. Do you notice that it's sprinkled all throughout here? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich this is backwards as well what did jesus do jesus became poor and therefore he made us rich god's economy of riches and blessings do not match this world's economy of riches and blessing so giving is a privilege because we get to act like jesus second thing giving is a heart issue now, the Macedonian church gave from their hearts. They weren't forced to give. Read this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. And, and I had to go back and reread this first because I just love it so much. They gave, uh, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, and notice this, word, this phrase, entirely on their own. So Paul didn't prod them into this. They chose to do it. And by the way, when Paul writes the book of Philippians, which is to the Macedonian church, do you know what the number one word Paul uses in the book of Philippians that, that is one of the biggest themes in the book of Philippians? Joy. Wow. I mean, there's so many connections. And then he says, they urgently pleaded with us for this, notice their attitude, privilege of sharing in this service the Lord's people. <clears throat> And the, I, this is the part I love. I look at verse 5. Just look at this. They exceeded our expectations because they didn't give money. They gave themselves. First of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, to us also. So their giving was a reflection of their dedication to Jesus. Their giving was a reflection of their dedication to Jesus. <clears throat> So what you do with your money is a reflection of your heart. Luke chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus said this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when you invest, remember back to investment, I invest in the boys and the coach. Therefore, my body and my heart goes with the team. Right? When you invest money in a stock you've never paid attention to, your heart follows it and you begin to check up on it. When you invest money in God's kingdom, your heart follows and you begin to be more committed to Christ. That's just how it goes. So, is your heart focused on God's vision? Or are you focused on your pleasures? So there's a story re recorded about uh, an experience Samuel Hearn had. Now, Samuel Hearn was an explorer and fur trader back in the burgeoning days of exploration of the North American continent. 
And he was on a journey to the mouth of the Coppermine River up in Canada, and I have no idea why anybody would want to go there, but he did. And he wrote that a few days after they started their expedition, so they were on their way there, and a party of Indians stole most of their supplies. So they're on this journey to find this place, and the Indians come and steal all of their supplies. And this is what he wrote about the misfortune of losing his supplies. You ready for this? You ready? This is so good. He said, the weight of our baggage being so much lightened, our next day's journey was more swift and pleasant. <laughs> you ever notice that the more you get, the more you worry about what you got? <laughs> I, I just think it's interesting because what he was saying is, is he could give up some bacon and some side beef and some other surprise that they brought with him if he could get to the journey that he wanted to do and reach the destination he wanted to do faster. Where his heart was on the destination. His heart was not on the stuff he took with him. And I want to encourage you to be a Christian whose heart is on the destination of building God's kingdom, not on how much junk you can take along with you in the journey. All right, last thing we learn from them is that giving is proportional. Giving is proportional. Giving is according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. The great thing about the tithe, and I, there's 10,000 stories that I could have told you, but, but I just want to say the great thing about what God says about tithing, a tenth of your income given to the kingdom of God, to the, the storehouse of God, the thing about that is, y'all ready for this? If you're making $4 or $4,000, a tenth is still a tenth. <laughs> it's not like God is asking you to do more than somebody else or less than somebody else. And the reason for that is, is because uh, that giving is a recognition that it's Jesus who gave you everything in the first place. We'll come back to that. Let's talk real quick. Um, eight, uh, 2 Corinthians eight twelve, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So people come to me and they say, I can't pay my bills. Should I give? And, and my first question is, have you taken Dave Ramsey yet? Have you gone through and made a budget? Are you doing anything to deal with the problem? Are you just replicating the same cycle over and over again? By the way, in January, we will have another class at Harvest Ridge, Financial Peace University. If you have not been through it, even if you think you know all about it, you should go through it because I went through it and I thought I was pretty good with money. I went through it and thank God I learned some stuff I didn't know. So we'll, real soon, we're going to be signing you up for Financial Peace University. So the question I have with is, you don't give what you don't have, but don't come to me telling me that you don't have when I look at your life and it's out of control and you're, you're paying Chase card 29% and you won't give God 1%. Or MasterCard, maybe who is your master? I'll borrow Dave. Ramsey's language. What did he say in 1 Corinthians 16? Back to this. Paul said on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Not trying to get something that's outside of what you already have. Uh, saving it up. And, and then the, the real point is here is everyone can do something. Everybody can do something. So I got this note, and it's written by a parent about their kids. This is what their kid did. Hi, my name is Nellie Belt, and I'm four years old. 
Over the weekend, my mama had a yard sale, and for the first time, I got to have my own lemonade stand. I got 75 cents a cup. With each cup I sold, I told each person that half of what my money, the money I got, was going to go to my church in Sunderland. And the other half, I would get a new toy. And here you will find half of what I made at my first lemonade stand. Thank you for being my church and my family and welcoming our family with open arms. $25 was stuck in this because a kid got the power of giving. Now, guys, what you just read right here, what I just read to you is the note of a world changer. Because she realizes that giving is a privilege. It's an honor. It's her heart. All right. All right. Last thing I want to tell you is giving is productive. Giving is productive. It is a form of investing. That's why I talked to you about investment. And when you invest, you expect a return. I'm, I'm going to read some text. I'm going to make a couple comments, then we're going to be done, all right? 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Come on, you don't do this because you have to. You do it because it's a chance to honor God. Every dollar you give to the kingdom of God is a chance to honor God. And I do that cheerfully. I'm going to take one day's of my wage next week, and I'm going to do it cheerfully because I get to do this. All right? And God is able, I love this, to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Notice there's some alls there. What does all mean? By the way, I looked this up in the Greek. I read it in the Greek. What does all mean in the Greek? All. (laughs) All things, all times, all you need. It seems like God wants you to not just live in a box, but he wants you to get into some all. Um, you will abound in every good work as it is written. And I love this. I love this takeaway. We'll come back to this. They have scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. So you give away money and you get what? Righteousness. All right. Uh, Giving. Let's just talk about this for a second. Let me see what my notes say here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk to you about this. There are principles of sowing. Can we talk about sowing here? I know that, man, I, I, in my study, I read, um, I read some where the money went when they were given to TG, TV preachers versus where they were went when they were given to the Southern Baptist Convention. The dollar amounts were very similar. And I looked at what they said. And the, the TV preachers, their millions of dollars that were given to them went to jets. And I think they had one hospital they helped support and like... Uh, three outreach centers, or I don't know. They, it was meager. Southern Baptist Convention, same amount of money, operated literally thousands of churches and literally dozens and dozens of hospitals and hundreds of outreach centers. Because here's the deal. When you give through the local church, the local church is then responsible to make sure that it goes into productive places. But when you give to some guy for a bigger jet... So when I talk about sowing, I'm not talking to you this way in the filter of TV preachers. I'm talking to you in the filter of Bible. There's a difference. 
okay, and I'd like you to race the TV preacher. So to this ministry, and God will give you money back. So to that ministry, and God says, you're stupid. Did I say that out loud? I need to jet so I don't ride with demons in a plane. Shut up, you punk. <laughs> All right. Sowing means investing in today's, it means investing today's provision. So when you, we'll, I'll tell you a story in a second, but when you do this, what the ancient farmer did was, we don't live here anymore, but the ancient farmer, if he wanted to have food for all year long, he had to set aside some food. Now, wheat, you set bags of wheat aside so that you can plant those wheat. They go in the ground, and when you don't have any wheat at the end of the season, you have these full bags of wheat that you could eat, but you don't do it because you're taking a part of right now so that you can have something in the future. Sowing is setting aside now to put into the ground, to throw away on the ground so that you can have something for the future. Now, if you live in an agrarian culture, you understood this. But we, in our culture, we go to the grocery store and we get our bread pre-made. But if you're, all right, just, I want you to remember that. It is when you sow, you are taking potential now food for my family and throwing it on the ground. All right. You do it in a hope and faith, and it requires recognition of past experience. So you look at other, have other people done this and survived? <laughs> and you invest in what you value. So second of all, sowing re recognizes God as the source. Sowing recognizes God as the source. What that means is, is that it's God who gave you the seed, and it's God that gave you the knowledge on how to use the seed to get more seed in the future. Um, 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, Now he who supplies the seed to the sower. So who, who's, your, who's your source? God is your source. He provides seed for the sower and bread for food. Will also supply. So who's responsible for your supply? God is. And, and what sowing does is it causes you to throw away things you could have to the ground, believing that it's God that's going to give you something out of that for your future. Now, this is Farming Economics 101. So Deuteronomy 18, 8, or 8, 18 says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to have wealth. Not just make a living, but have wealth. This requires, sowing requires trust in God. You don't do this, give to kingdom builder stuff and, and tie to a church. You don't do that unless you trust God as your source. That's the reason I'm talking to you about it is because I want you to really be in relationship with God so that he is your source, so you're dependent on him instead of the government or the stock market. All right. So last of all, sowing reveals an expectation of a harvest. Now, I have to be careful here because this idea has been abused by people trying to rob money from your pocket. I'm not trying to rob you. I'm actually not even trying to take anything from you. I'm trying to give you something, which is a different way of viewing how you get provided for. That being said, I would be lying if I said God doesn't promise return 
on your sowing. It's there. Hold on. Given it shall be given to you. How? Pressed down, shaken together, and then running over on top. So you don't just get back, you get it pressed down, shaken together, and then more than you can handle. This is the promise everywhere in Scripture, that when you step out by faith, God does the supernatural in your life and your finances. I would be lying to you if I didn't include this truth in what I'm preaching. You cannot, all right, you cannot outgive God. The amount of seed sown determines the size of your harvest, right? If you go out to the field and you take two handfuls of seed and you throw it on the ground, are you going to get like 40 acres worth of seed harvested? No, you're going to get two handfuls worth. But if you put enough down for 40 acres, what are you going to get? A 40-acre harvest. So the amount of seed sown determines the size of the harvest. Second, um, the location of the seed determines the size of the harvest. If you throw your seed onto good ground you will get a, a return. But if you throw on bad ground, don't expect a return. It's the reason we try to be really, really good soil here. We try to. All right? Third. And by the way, I'm going to say this. I've said this often. If you think I'm trying to get money out of your pocket, I tell you what, I'll give you three, I'll give you three other churches that you can tithe to. Not here. Just to test God. Okay? If you think it's about me and money, I'll give you three other churches. I'll tell you to send your tithe there. I want for you. All right? It's expected that the amount sown will return in a larger amount. A larger amount. More back. All right? 2 Corinthians 9.10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge, I love this, the harvest of your righteousness. So I put dollars in and God makes me more righteous. <laughs> it's, it's harder for me <laughs> to be righteous than it is to make money because <laughs> I'm a jerk. <sighs> hey, you don't amen that too hard there. <laughs> You'll be enriched in every way and you can be generous on every occasion. And through this, listen to this, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. All right, I'm going to read you a couple of quotes. Here we go. J.L. Kraft, head of Kraft Cheese Corporation, had given approximately 25% of his enormous income to Christian causes for many years. So he didn't do 10%, he gave 25%. And he was asked um, about it and he said, and I quote, the only investment I ever made which was paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. All right, one more. Captain Levy, a believer from Philadelphia. I, I love this quote. He was once asked how he could give so much to the Lord's work and still possess great wealth. And the captain replied, well, oh, as I shovel it out, God shovels it back in, except he's got a bigger shovel. <laughs> and I want you to see the harvest isn't list, uh, limited to money because listen to the results you get. Harvest of righteousness, enriched in every way, generous on every occasion, thanksgiving to God. What price would you pay for peace in your family? How much money is it worth for physical health? How much money is it worth for you to have emotional stability? How much are these things worth? And all I want to say to you today is this, and, and I'm, I mean this, and I know, I know, I know, this is a hard message because somebody's going to put up on Facebook again, and I only want your money. I told you, give it to somebody else, so I'm not worried about that. Guys, I want your heart dedicated to God. 
with all that's within me. That's what I want. Okay? So I got a story for you. Sort of sums this up. There was a missionary, his name was Deltar, and he lived for 14 years in West Africa. And he relayed an experience that he saw happen while he lived in the Sahel, which is a vast stretch of savanna, 4,000 miles wide, loaded, located just under the Sahara Desert. In the Sahel, all the moisture comes in a four-month period, so it only rains four months out of the year, and it doesn't rain the other eight months of the year. So in May to August, that's when, if you planted anything, that's when it grew. So what would happen is, um, they, they, he said it would happen every year. You know, they would, they would sow their food, they would get their food, they would have a good harvest, they'd eat really good. And then towards the end, for the last month or so, there was no grain left over and they were all starving. And, and as a matter of fact, there's a lot of starvation in that part of Africa because of the lack of food during those months and scarcity. And um, he said it would happen every year. There'd be a kid that would go into the barn and he would come back and say, Dad, Dad, we don't have to go to bed hungry tonight. I found sack of grain on the wall. We can eat tonight. And he would say, no, son, you can't eat that. But dad, then we wouldn't go to bed hungry tonight. And he would say, son, if we don't take that seed, I've reserved that, that seed, we won't eat for the next year. And that's the law of the harvest. That if you think your stuff is to be held and it's not to be spread, then you're missing the blessing of future righteousness and future provision and future goodness. So scripturally, what I want to convince you of today is that God has a plan to bless you. And that plan to bless you requires an incredible amount of faith. You know what that incredible amount of faith requires you to do? Literally give to his kingdom. This is a discipleship sermon. And I never liked preaching discipleship sermons where I talked about money. Till one day a guy came up to me and he said, Pastor, I got saved the day the pastor preached a discipleship sermon on money. Because I realized that money was my idol and Jesus needed to be my Lord. So I unapologetically tell you the whole counsel of God today. Because if you're sitting here this entire sermon pushing back against what I say, it's probably because you need to grow in grace. And the grace you need to grow in is the grace that says, I want God's favor, not my selfish control. There you go. And you know what we do when I call you this moment? I'll tell you what we do. We do what we always do. Oh God, I need you to be my Lord. So I'm gonna ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes with me in this place today. Some of you have a, a poverty mentality of the world, scarcity. And God wants to change your mind into his generous provision. And if today you're sitting here and you realize you need the grace of Jesus Christ, I want you just to hold your hands out flat on your lap. Hold them, palm up. Hold them, palm up. And I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Everybody pray it together with me right now. Dear Jesus, be my Lord. Give me your grace so that I would trust you with all of my heart, not just the parts I feel comfortable with. Thank you for saving me, delivering me, and blessing me. I now receive 
your blessing. Amen and amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that and you meant it, God's going to start working in your heart. What do you do next week? Bring this thing. Let's do this. Come on. That's an act of faith in Jesus. You're going to crack open the wallet that has formerly been welded shut. You're going to crack it open. And you know what you're going to do when you crack it open? You're going to experience the joy of generosity for God's kingdom. Fun. And there are some of you who prayed that prayer for the first time. And you really meant it for the first time. You called out your own sin and you said, you know what, it's a day to make Jesus my Lord. If that's you, we get some people up here like to pray with you. If you've got any need as well, you want somebody to pray with you, we're going to invite you to the altars today. So would you stand with me? And we'll say a closing prayer, but these guys are going to be here to pray with you today as we go. So Jesus, we pray a blessing over every person who heard the word today that we would not only hear the word, but we would become doers of the word in the name of Jesus Christ. And bless us as we take these steps of faith by giving us your grace. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. If you want somebody to pray with you, we do have people up here to pray with you today.